0: Many men have stood here before you to deliver sermons. They varied greatly in their manner of speaking and the lessons they presented. Some made a great impression upon us and we remember them. Others made little impression and we've forgotten them. I've often wondered if Jesus were here today and speaking to you instead of me doing it what would it be like how would he act what would he say how would he affect us actually jesus is here this morning among us not in body but in spirit for he said so in matthew 28 verse 20 he said Where two or three have gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We should always remember Jesus is here. I like to picture him as sitting in one of those chairs back there. How would we conduct ourselves before him? If we could actually see him in person and notice how his eyes are fixed upon us and they would be fixed upon every one of us. What if Jesus did visibly come into our assembly? What would happen? How would we respond? The best that we can do is look into the New Testament and read what Jesus did back then and how he did it, and what effect it had upon the people. For the next few minutes, I want us to take that look and transfer what we see from the past into the present. And I hope it affects every one of us deeply and remains in our memory forever. By careful search, I have found eight things that Jesus did back then that I believe he would do now if he were here speaking. And he would want to have the very same effect upon us that he intended to have upon the people back then. Number one, he would impress us that he was fully representing the Father to us, the Father who sent him. In John 14 and verse 8, the apostle Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. The Hebrew writer made exactly the same declaration. In chapter 1 and verse 3, When he said of Jesus, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus was the earthly image of God himself. And to look upon Jesus is to look upon God. If Jesus were up here speaking to you, you would be looking at the very radiance of God's glory you'd see the best vision of God that it's possible to see this side of heaven. And folks, I know we'd be overwhelmed. Our respect and our attention would rise to the highest level that it's ever been in our lives. Number two, Jesus would awe us into total silence while he spoke. You know, people in assembly, can be very noisy, dozens of conversations going on, laughing, people up, moving around, dropping things, and on and on. Sometimes here it's not even easy to get us quiet, seated, and settle down. But I will say it's a lot better here than many places I've been. In Hebrews 2, or rather Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Did you know that when Christians are assembled the way we are right here now, we are God's temple? That's what we're told in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, where it says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you Some might argue, that's talking about the individual. No, no, no. This is direct speech spoken to Christians in assembly. We know that because the pronouns you translate the word humace. That is the plural you. This is not speaking to an individual. It's speaking to a group of people. We are God's temple right here now. If Jesus were up here speaking to you, folks, the Lord would literally be here in his holy temple like Habakkuk said. And I can believe we would be silent before him. There would be a tenseness that would be prompted by respect producing a profound silence that no one would dare disrupt. Most of us, including me, love to talk. And some people have to make their voice heard in whatever group they're in. But with Jesus before us, folks, we'd be like Job in chapter 40. God spoke to him out of a whirlwind, and he challenged him. He said, Job, he said, I'm going to... Speak, and I want you to answer just like you've been answering all these long speeches back through the book. But in verses 4 and 5, Job answered, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply? I lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I won't answer. In the unique presence of God... Job was struck dumb, speechless, and folks, you and I would be just liking if we could see Jesus here. In Revelation 8 in verse 20, when Jesus broke the seventh seal, it says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Do you suppose that any audience on this earth, general audience, could be silent for a half an hour? unless the Lord were standing before it, looking it down. Third, Jesus would sit down to address us in assembly. I could see him pulling one of those chairs right over here to the edge of the platform and sitting down before he started speaking. The greatest sermon ever recorded On the face of this earth was the Sermon on the Mount. And notice how it begins in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. Notice the next four words. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and preached that marvelous and comparable sermon. Folks, that was not a one-time thing. We read in Luke Luke chapter 4 where Jesus went back to his hometown synagogue to the Sabbath service and he was asked to do the reading for the day which happened to be Isaiah chapter 53. He, He read that standing up but then notice what verses 20 and 21 said. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. And the next three words, and sat down. And the eyes of all the congregation were fixed upon him and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In ancient times, to sit down to speak indicated authority. That was the idea behind a king sitting on a throne. What he said when seated was official, authoritative, binding. There was a phrase for it, ex cathedra. That means from the chair. The king spoke, or when he spoke ex cathedra, that was it. So let it be written, so let it be done. Jesus referred to this meaning. In Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3, when he said, The scribes and the Pharisees, notice, have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, so they will speak authoritatively. Then Jesus said, Therefore, all that they tell you, do and, 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 and observe. It's authoritative, Folks, I feel pretty sure that if Jesus were here, he wouldn't be standing up. He'd pull a chair over here. And would speak to us to convey this original meaning. I'm speaking authoritatively from the chair, ex cathedra. After all, how does God speak to us? Standing up, walking around, no, seated on his throne in heaven. Number four, if Jesus were here, he would begin by declaring that his message is from God. In John 14, 24, Jesus says, The word which you hear from me is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Earlier, back in John 7, in verse 16, he had already said, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. Jesus wanted people to believe and understand that what he was telling them was the very word of God. This is one of the meanings that is expressed when Jesus is called the Word. We read in John 1, verses 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. If Jesus were sitting here speaking to us, He would demand that we accept what He is saying came from god that is utterly authoritative, and that we had better take it to heart and let it rule our lives and not forget it when we walk out the door number five jesus if he were here speaking would be telling us not what we want to hear but what we need to hear In theological literature for the past 30, 40 years, there's been a lot of comment that today when people come to church ordinarily, they want to hear this, you're good people, you're okay, praise, praise, praise. Then they want to hear a soft and a comfortable message. Folks, we don't want to be told that we have faults, that we have deficiencies that we have their requirements that are to be met you know back then when people came to jesus they came to be approved and they were greatly offended when he didn't approve them when he told them what they didn't come to hear he said there's something you have to do before you can be approved you've got to face up to your faults you've got to repent you've got to correct your behavior you've got to strive To improve, read it for yourself in the New Testament. One case that's prominent is in Luke 18 where a rich young ruler came one day to Jesus. He wanted to be told one thing that he lacked so that he could do that one thing and and, and receive eternal life. That's what he came to hear. That's not what he heard. That's not what Jesus told him. Jesus told him there's a lot he had to do, not just one thing. He had to go back home and sell everything he had, distribute it to the poor. That'd take a good while. Then he said, come back here and follow me, and that'd take the rest of his life. Folks, this man was bitterly disappointed. That wasn't what he wanted to hear. The text says that he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And he turned his back on Jesus and he walked away and refused to do what Jesus told him to do. A more prominent case, I guess, is in John chapter 6. A multitude of thousands came to Jesus. They wanted something. They wanted to be fed again miraculously with a sumptuous feast of fish and bread or fish and chips it'd be today. But Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. He didn't do for them what they came to get. He refused. He told them what you really need is not bread and fish to stuff in your, your belly. He said what you need is spiritual food for your souls. Folks, that was not what they came to hear. They didn't like what Jesus said and they got mad. They did. They got mad. Verse 60 of John there, 6 there says that they began to grumble. This is a difficult saying. Who can hear it? Or as we'd see today, who can put up with that kind of stuff? Then in verse 66, it says that as a, that as a result of this, many disciples withdrew from, from him and were not walking with him anymore. They deserted Jesus in mass. If Jesus were speaking to us now, folks, I can assure you, he would be telling us what we need to hear rather than what we want to hear. And I wonder what the reaction would be. If there was 250 here this morning, would there be 100 this evening? Sixth, Jesus would paint simple word pictures to illustrate his teaching. You know, Jesus frequently illustrated his lessons with word pictures that were very simple, very familiar to people, easy to imagine in your head. In this way, he was able to make known and understandable to them ideas that otherwise would have been uh, not understandable and, and and memorable. You know, today we've come to the place with our technology that we are relieving people more and more and more of having to use their minds to do anything. With a punch of a button, we get any image we want. We project them up here on the screen for every little detail. If the wind is blowing, you can see the trees bending in the images up here. But I believe that if Jesus were up here, he'd do just like he did in the first century. He'd have us to imagine using our minds a man out in a a field sowing seed or another man by uh, moonlight sowing weed seeds in a neighbor's field. Or we'd see him telling us about a person planting a tiny mustard seed in a garden and watching it grow into a mighty shrub. Or he would have us to picture a woman Kneading a lump of dough to make bread or someone digging up a treasure out in a field or some men emptying a net by saving the good fish in a basket and throwing everything else away. Folks, these are images that are very easy to picture in your mind. There you can store it and recall it for the rest of your life to remember the lesson that Jesus taught with it. That's why I use that method. If Jesus were here, I do believe, folks, he would challenge us with mental pictures as he did back then. Number seven, he would tell us that our response to his message determines our destiny. You know... Jesus didn't speak for the reasons that many of us speak today. Not to fill an appointment. Not to occupy an audience for 30 minutes. Not to punch everybody's ticket to give them credit for attending church that day. He didn't speak to comply with religious tradition. He didn't speak to meet scheduled uh, requirements. He didn't Speak just to keep his part on the schedule in a, in, a, in a program. Folks, he spoke with a purpose to prepare people for the future. Most of all, for the day when we have to come and face God before his throne and give account. He made this clear as crystal when he concluded the greatest sermon ever recorded on this earth, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, beginning about verse 24, it says, This is Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is here representing a person's life as a house. And a house is only as stable as the foundation it's built on. Jesus says his teaching is the only solid foundation that will save your house or your life when the world is being destroyed at the end and the judgment day is here. And then eighth, Jesus would conclude his presentation with an invitation. You know, it was never Jesus' purpose to humiliate people, to torture minds, to browbeat an audience with thundering condemnations. We see that in sermons sometimes. Jesus didn't do that or didn't intend to do it. Now, he did show us our faults, our sins, our shortcomings, but his purpose was a loving one, to lead us to repent so that we could be saved. We're assured in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 that the Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And then in 1 Timothy 2 4 we are told that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If Jesus were here speaking, folks, he would say a lot that would disturb us, that would make us feel guilty, and probably would scare some of us half to death. But he would say it in love and out of deep, earnest, sincere concern. And I'm confident that he would end his lesson with something like this, as he did in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It's an invitation from Jesus, and I'm just passing it on to you as a continuing invitation. And as soon as I finish it, we'll have a closing song. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus' invitation to you. Let us sing.